welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be. I'm Emma. I'm Grace. On this week's episode, we talk about the Montgomery Biscuits baseball team and their millennial night debate. We look at uh, tips for managing millennials that we think might become good practice for managing everybody. And in our new segment, Millennials in Politics, we highlight some really talented millennials that are running for office this November. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the show. We are recording. Oh, hell yeah. I love it when you just surprise me like that. There's no like Three, silent. Two, yeah. One. one. Hey, Grace. Hey, Emma. Really happy to be in the closet with you today. Oh my gosh. So glad to have you here. As she takes a sip of her. Oh, sorry. Sorry, peeps. I realize that we like really go ham sometimes with the bodily functional noises. I think it's an important part. There's three characters to this show. There's four characters. You and me and our bodily... (laughs) And our bodies. (laughs) Um, um, did you hear that John Lovett got a shout out for his allergies on his podcast? No. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's my thing. <laughs> you have so many things that I aspire to emulate, but let me have that one. You definitely have earned it. I think so, How too. How are you feeling today? So much better, but I do think I have to... I know that when I eat cheese and like other phlegm-inducing foods, that yeah. it really accelerates... My own phlegm production, resulting in a lot of sniffles, Mm. and I just have not been curbing my cheese intake, and it pains me to say it, but I think I gotta just, like, cut the cheese for a little bit, get back to normal. Dude, I can feel it, like, I can literally, I eat cheese, and I feel my body immediately say, more phlegm, and then produce (laughs) more phlegm, and then six hours later, I'm up till 1230 at night sneezing, so I just can't do that anymore. Yeah, that does not sound, it's a, it, it, you know, pros and cons here. Yeah, it'll be tough, but hopefully it'll be worth it. How are you? I'm excited to hear about your night last night. Yeah, um, Emma, I had... A truly revelatory evening, and I felt like it was one of those experiences where everyone in the room just sort of begins to understand that they're a part of something very special. What? So I went to um, an event at the Norse Theater that was the International Congress of Youth Voices, mm-hmm. um, which is a sort of Dave Eggers-initiated project that they describe it as... Um, a gathering of a hundred teenagers from around the world to discuss issues crucial to them and to make their voices heard. Um, It seemed like the majority of them have been participating in some kind of literature writing um, program like A26 Valencia, which was heavily represented obviously because it was part of the organization. So they had speakers, um, Jose Antonio Vargas, Pulitzer Prize winning um, journalist, um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who's the amazing author. Was there? She spoke, dude. She's an award winning author. Um, Her book, uh, Americano, 
I think won some prize in 2013 for literature. Um, she talked about the F, um, the necessity of effort through failure and rejection, um, and the critical importance of art. And then Haled Husseini, the author of a thousand splendid sons and the kite runner was there to talk about the power of storytelling. It was hosted by Shanaka Hodge, who was amazing. And, and a Berkeley High alum. Is she really? Yes. She wow. was amazing. Um, and I will say that the best speaker of the night in a lineup of extraordinary speakers who said beautiful, important things was Darby Toe. I mean, there was a number of students. It was the students, for sure. Yeah. Um, it always is. I know. She gave this speech, this extraordinary speech about her understanding of history that was so powerful that, like, she spoke in the middle of the event and got a standing ovation. Wow. Um Wait, who is she? So she is a young person. She um, is, I think she said she's originally from the U.S., but grew up in Melbourne. And she has already had a a book of hers acquired by Penguin Random House. In her speech, she framed the world as in a state of reset. So she highlighted the salience of power Mm -hmm. um, through time but acknowledging that right now the ways that we've organized power are just not um, necessary anymore. And so we have these old systems fighting so hard to still be relevant, which is why we're currently seeing the power dynamics and and oppression and violence that we're seeing right now, um, despite the, the salience of these things through history. And it was amazing. Later in the night, Khaled Husseini... Um, mentioned the balance that he looks towards younger people just as much as generational peers to understand how to improve the world. And it made me think so much in those, those two speeches in tandem with one another, I think really highlighted the, the critical importance of, um, of the role that generation Z and millennials are currently playing in this time of reset. Mm. Um, and we talk about millennials being, you know, the, the largest generation in history and are, are about to have all of this power. And it was so um, compelling to think about what we might be able to accomplish with that kind of platform, particularly in um, moving away from if we're, we're at this sort of turning point where we are peers to our other generations and we have just as much to educate as we have to learn and how we might be able to leverage that kind of positionality in history. So um, thank you. Thank you to the organizers of the International Congress of Youth Voices. Thank you to my friend Sam, who got me a ticket. And thank you to these teenagers. That's so inspiring. I mean, I know part of what we are exploring is like, what makes the millennials unique and what we are going to carry forward that really defines us. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something about, well, first of all, there's something about Gen Z that I think is going to be really interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to Dorian St. Felix on um, Keep It a couple weeks ago, and she, like, very casually sort of mentioned that, like, people already view Gen Z as kind of like the torchbearers of an even more sort of... um, reformed world Mm -hmm. and I mean my dad's a high school teacher and Mm -hmm. he always talks about how when the magic of the adolescent brain is that 
you are still, I think people would call it like idealistic, but you're still in the space of like imagination. Like right. you're the, the roots haven't like fully formed yet. And the yeah. pathways haven't fully formed, like both neurological and also in terms of like what you envision for the world. Mm-hmm. And also you are grappling with very adult, real ideas and right. issues. And, um, I think the intersection of that it allows for really amazing ideas that mm-hmm. are like almost borderline like abstractions of reality right um that can be born and i think that's really i think that's really special and i'm really excited to hear that that's happening yeah and that, being elevated yep that was absolutely what i bore witness to last night it was it was multiple imaginations of what the world could be and mm-hmm. folks who are young, who are already taking steps to realize that. And I think you're right that there is this power in um, being able to see with, like, a fresh set of eyes, even in ab- abstraction, mm-hmm. what what the future could look like. Um, and I think that this is a particular time where what you're describing is so true, where younger people are um, exposed to and able to grapple with these themes that are far beyond mm-hmm. their experience. Um, well, thanks so much for sharing. You got it. I have much more vapid news today. Great. Just a couple quick things. Um, one... So we were in a conversation last week about bringing back Parker Posey. Yeah. Did you see this? She's no. releasing a memoir. <gasps> so she's everywhere now. Oh, good. I know. What a relief. But I'm like, we are literally like a half step ahead sometimes, it feels like. Or maybe yeah. it's like one of those things where like you like learn a new word and then you start hearing it everywhere. Sure. Or like you learn it and then suddenly, you know, and then you're like, wow, everyone's been eating kumquats forever. <laughs> and you just had no idea. Um, maybe that's it, but, like, truly we had this whole conversation last week about, like, women who are, like, a generation or two above us who we, like, want to see more visibly in the media, and, um, Parker Posey's name came up specifically, and then I turn around and she's just, like, everywhere right now because she's releasing a new book. Yeah. So I'm super excited for her. Oh my gosh. And glad she's back at the forefront. Yeah. Can't wait to see what you do with this, uh, with this book, girl. Yeah. And, uh, Marvel... Marvel. Keep your ear to the ground. Got a new uh, talent to maybe uh, yeah include. We want yes. Well, yeah. Well, if Tom Cruise can still be doing it, let's Jeez just let's Louise. Go, yeah, bring up, bring in, bring in someone who's not a white male. It's okay. time for Millennials in the News. Bam, bam, bam. Tell us what happened. I Okay, so I have, oh, yeah. for context, I have a um, Google alert, obviously, for Millennial. Yeah. And every week, or like, sorry, I get it like multiple times a week. Yeah. And this story has been coming up. Everyone's got an opinion on it. Can you give us the download? The yes. lowdown? So. I always get, it's lowdown, right? Yeah, the lowdown. The lowdown? All right. All right, so here's, here's the, what happened. Here's the tea. Here's, here's the, the down low. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you. There's this minor league baseball team called the Montgomery Biscuits. 
Okay. And they, you know, so I have a, a sibling who worked in sports and they would, you know, at the team that he worked at, they would always have themed nights. Oh, gotcha. And so, um, so this idea of like a themed night is not new to me. Yeah. I, for example, once went to a Nets game on like Russian night. <laughs> the and, New Jersey uh, Nets? Girl. They have moved to Brooklyn like 10 years oh. ago. Well, okay. Wow, wow. <laughs> sports, sports, sports. Emma loves baseball. That's Emma basketball. Wow. So don't come for me. <laughs> The also, whole thing about them moving to Brooklyn, Jay-Z had all this stock in it. I Have even, you been to Atlantic Avenue in the last yes, decade? I even went to a game a couple of times. Jeez I just Louise. forgot. I'm, we're in millennial mode. I'm thinking 90s. <laughs> I'm, not thinking, I'm not thinking current day. I'm always thinking 90s. And in the 90s, they were the New Jersey Nets. That's true. That's very um, true. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> so the Montgomery Biscuits like team uh, had millennial nights. And as a part of Millennial Night, they had selfie stations, participation ribbons, napping areas, and <laughs> uh, the internet lost their shit. But lost wait, wait, their... wait. Participate, like, A for effort? Yeah, like, everyone gets a participation ribbon. Because, you oh. know, the whole narrative of, like, oh, Millennials, everyone got a participation trophy, so they don't know competition. Yeah, I totally relate to that. Oh, and they had lots of avocados. So, um, yeah, so that was the story. The the internet collectively lost its shit on both sides. What happened? Well, just like, uh, so the office is that that's at the um, Montgomery Biscuits. Eighty percent of them are millennials. So their argument was, uh, well, we're all millennials, and uh, we, we it was like tongue in cheek. Got it. Um, uh, the, the team has not apologized. They thought it was fun. Something got, they quote, something got lost in the sarcasm. <laughs> um, what do you think, Emma? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to have an entire theme night based on a sarcastic joke. Whether or not we feel a sense of ownership over the things that identify us is yeah. an interesting question. Right, there's another reading of this which is it is actually calling to the calling attention to the ways that we've been like reduced to these sort of mm. stereotypes mm-hmm. um and a way of actually calling out to how ridiculous it is. Like that's one of the arguments that that people are le- um like creating which mm-hmm. is this is actually making a joke of the anti-millennial attitude. Mm-hmm. And some are just saying, like, this is reductive and perpetuates that anti-millennial rhetoric. Yeah. If we're going to criticize this night, we need to criticize all of these theme nights because they're all reductive. Right, Having right. a Russian night? Right, totally. Like, what is that? Right. Or, like... You know, like, when... I'm trying to think of other, like, themed nights. I I know this isn't, like, exactly the same thing, but, like, first of all, I will just put it on the record that I hate themed parties, and I have a point to this. I think it's, like... I know Grace disagrees with me on this. No, but I I, think we... I think we we find common ground for sure, but... So keep going. Okay. Well, I hate it probably for different reasons. I just, like... For me, what it really comes down to is... It's already, like, challenging enough for me to figure out what I want to wear 
to your party on a Friday night, but when you, like, add extra constraints that, like, if I don't follow, I'm going to therefore be, like, shunned for, like, I just feel a little, like, some kind of way about that. I yeah. just don't, I just don't, I don't care about, like, dressing up as, like, a Crayola Cranbot. Like, I just, you know, or whatever the theme is. Yeah. I don't know, it's a bad theme. But, like, so that's one thing. But then the other thing is that, like, you know there's all that controversy from, like, when we were in college in particular when, like, especially in Greek life, but I think even, like, mm-hmm. more expansively. Totally. Extensively. More extensively. Um, a lot of, like, one of the big things to do was to have these, like, theme parties. Yeah. And they were so problematic. Right. Most, most of them. Um, along, like, identity lines, along, like, gender lines, along, like, like, like being really d- reductive around, like, you know, cultures, different countries, right. people with different backgrounds, all Absolutely. of that. So I think, like, all of it is kind of a trap. And I think, I don't know that I could find... I think the millennial night sets itself up for being, like, particularly arousing because you're... Because, like, it's still okay mm-hmm. to make fun of a generation, but I think, like, you know, I think all of these, like, kind of thematic nights, unless they're... I don't know. Then I'm thinking to myself, well, what if it's, like, actually facilitated and run by people who are from that group? I don't know. Yeah. This sort of, like, like, does it matter that they were millennials for the most part? Yeah. That is it, that, that it makes it self-deprecating instead of offensive. Yeah. I like the question of that. Yeah. And I think it just is, like, I just would question, like, are any of your theme nights okay yeah and why do you have that theme night is it because you are having a marketing campaign where you're trying to like appeal to a certain group or are you actually like creating structures that are appealing to that group in and of itself Mm -hmm. without the theme night aka are you building an inclusive organization right where like everyone regardless of their background will want to go to a montgomery biscuits game or are you having like Thursday night is for this group, and so therefore you're like trying to get an uptick in your mar- ticket sure, sales in order, sure. because you're so trying you, to appeal to that group right. instead of just creating a system that's going to actually be appealing? I am so 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 certain that there have been many other sports themed nights that have been offensive or have rubbed right. some people the wrong way, and I'm sure right. that like those people in some way, shape, or form have spoken out, and yet, like, it's not generating a shit ton of content necessarily. Or maybe we don't have the Google alert set up correctly. (laughs) No, Emma, I think you are so right. I think you're so right. And, like, let's, like, there are so many ways that that, uh, sports right now are failing communities in the ways that they either create policies mm-hmm. or allow their name to continue to be offensive looking at you many many teams including the Washington Redskins as millennials if we're participating in structures that that reduce traditions and cultures and groups of people for marketing campaigns we are actually not doing the work to create an inclusive like america mm-hmm. if we want to call it that i think what I would call on millennials to do is say, like, okay, what can we do to actually move the needle in terms of eliminating the need for theme nights or creating theme nights that aren't about reducing groups of people down mm-hmm. to these, like, 
particular essences of them that often become stereotypes that often are used against those people. Right. But actually, like, what are we doing to either, like, create theme nights that are about, like, generating a sense of community in a productive way right? that pushes a progressive agenda? But what are we doing as millennials to actually create community and create a sense of ownership? And even if that comes in the form of capitalist expenditure, then that's fine. Like, I'll go buy a ticket for a Montgomery's Biscuits game if there's a theme that feels like it's actually moving the needle on creating the kind of world that we aspire to live in. And by we, I obviously am coming from, like, a very specific vantage point and a very specific vision of what I want the world to look like, namely an inclusive and just place where everyone feels like they have a sense of belonging and where everyone feels like they are afforded just and equal access to the life that we all deserve. Yeah, and I mean, I think <laughs> From also, a baseball game. <laughs> right, right. Um, to me, the main the main takeaway, too, is exactly what you're saying, which is uh, this is Millennial Night, and it has a platform because those types of narratives have a lot of stickiness right now. Mm-hmm. And what other themed nights have happened and come and passed that haven't gotten the same sort of attention or, like, under like critical thought um, that did more damage than they did good? Yeah. Well, that was... I would be curious to hear what other people think. Yeah. Too. I don't know. Are are we cool with just being self-deprecating and making fun of ourselves, or do we want something else? Yeah. And why... uh, Yeah. I think that's a really good question. Right? Like, what do we have a sense of humor on? (laughs) And what feels like uh, just so... um, inaccurate that it perpetuates the wrong narrative yeah or more damaging narrative this is millennials in the news part two basically i've been seeing some articles about how to handle millennials in the workplace and i think there's been just like a lot of conversation around this um but there's a forbes article that i found It's actually a couple years old, but it talks about the nine ways to, or nine tips rather, for managing millennials. And Mm -hmm. I want to just like read a couple of them Mm -hmm. and then I want, I will have a point to make and then we can chat. So they are provide opportunities for learning and development, Mm -hmm. offer a balance between personal and professional life. Mm-hmm. Money isn't everything. Okay, that's not like a action, but sure. Money isn't everything. Make way for more movement, meaning like movement, promotions, etc. Mm-hmm. Be mentors, not bosses. Create a strong company culture. Recognize their need for recognition. Take the good with the bad, like take the good of the millennial generation with the bad, I mm-hmm. guess, of the millennial generation. Dose, don't disconnect the digital natives. Mm-hmm. Um Meaning, like, don't ask us to move off our Instagrams. Mm -hmm. So my point here is um, I think all of these are really interesting little tidbits and pieces of advice for anyone working in any sort of organization. Mm -hmm. And I think what it makes me think is I struggle to see how adopting at least least seven of these nine um, tips isn't going to be good for everyone at an organization. Hmm. Tell me more. So this idea of, like, providing opportunities for learning and development, that's number one. Mm -hmm. And 
it makes me think a lot about upskilling or creating opportunities for people to develop new skills while on the job as Mm -hmm. like part of their actual job expectations is something that I think could actually be really amazing for anyone who's mm-hmm. part of an organization, especially when we think about the struggles of the baby boomer generation mm-hmm. who might not be ready to retire, um, but who might see that their skills are outdated given mm-hmm. like the rapid changing of the workforce. And I think there's been a lot of conversation about like how do you actually upskill people who have been in their careers for a while mm-hmm. and give them opportunities to have a sort of second wind in the sales of their careers. Right. And so when I see provide opportunities for learning and development, I'm actually really proud of that being a potential tip for how to manage millennials. Right. I'm proud of the fact that millennials are maybe pushing organizations to offer more opportunities for concrete professional development mm-hmm. because I think everyone given that opportunity, could actually push the success of an organization across multiple generations. So that's one. I think the other is, like, offer a balance between personal and professional life. Yeah. Like, I think that's something that I think a lot of people make fun of millennials for. Like, I think there's this idea that, like, oh, millennials just want to, like, have their unlimited vacation and, like, leave, et cetera, et cetera. Especially with the advent of the cell phone and with, like, people being able to, like, bring their laptop home. Like, suddenly it was, like, everyone's working all the time and everyone's on their phone all the time. And, like, can you go on vacation without checking your email? Like, huge challenge. I think the general consensus is that the availability to work is actually not making people happier or more productive. Right, right. And I think, yeah, yeah. to your point, like, this is not necessarily, like, the hours that you put in is one metric. But, like, how are you measuring people's contributions more effectively? Is it through whether they're able to respond to an email at 11 p.m. or whether they're incredibly productive in the time that they're at work or that they are able to meet certain deliverables at work? Um, Yeah, I've thought a lot about that second one, too. It's so interesting to me the way that um, work right now has been integrated into our lives the way that you think about like the Google campus mm-hmm. or like the Facebook campus. It is I, I ha- where you eat and yeah. where some people do take naps because they are there for 12 hours a day. Some people that live on campus, like your work doesn't necessarily differentiate itself much from your life for some people. And so this idea of like, having a balance or having a dis like I actually see so many ways that millennials in particular are not experiencing that yeah that your work your work friends are your social circle because you all are together for so long anyway I don't think it's the best way to get the best work out of people it just feels like an easily measure excuse me an easily measurable metric you better makes... keep that body function in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an easy, sorry, an easily measurable metric. Yeah, which is metric. my first, which is my yeah. first point. Anyway, but like, how how are we decide? Who decided that, like, because you gave eleven hours or you were there for a certain amount of time, that that gave your best work? Yeah, it makes me think of like hazing. Yes. There's been so many, so many years of anti-hazing movements on college campuses, and for a variety of reasons, it hasn't really taken hold. Right. Um, At least not from, like, 
an, an internalized sense. But I don't think that, like, fraternities and sororities that participate in them have actually, like, internalized the reasons why they shouldn't haze anymore. There's that whole mentality and that whole argument of just, like, well, I went through this and and it made me better for it. And mm -hmm. in the workplace, I think one of the reasons that that power stays in place is because there are very real reasons why people want to maintain the system. And a lot of them, in my opinion, come back to this idea that, like, we are pressured to have, like, very specific pathways in life where we accumulate wealth in our 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. We spend it in very specific ways in our 30s and 40s, a.k.a. houses, kids. This is, like, the very, like, mm -hmm. normative American sort right. of way of moving through the workforce. And therefore, it perpetuates a system where in your 20s, you do need to put in the work. And so I think we just have to think about this idea of work-life balance, not just about, like, pandering to millennials I'm just thinking about like how can we disrupt the system so that everyone can get the most they need out of work and also set themselves up to be really fulfilled in life in other ways as well mm -hmm. connected and also disconnected from work totally like how are how are you not just like having bodies who are working but how do you actually get the most out of your team like, yeah. this seems like, you know, in this advice uh, article, seems like a way to allow people to be working at their best. And I, I, I so agree with you. It's like we're saying that having a work-life balance is, it, it seems to play into this, like, laziness narrative that mm -hmm. I just don't, I, I don't think that they necessarily mean the same thing. Mm-hmm. So in thinking about, like, designing things for inclusivity, too, what we know is that when you design things to meet the needs of sometimes what you might consider a minority group. So, mm -hmm. for example, like, one of the examples that I love the most is in the designing of the cell phone, text messaging was actually set up as a way to allow people with um, hearing differences to be able to communicate over cell phone, but as we know, like, that design became actually integral to everyone's usage of mm -hmm. the cell phone. And so what we know historically is that when we actually design systems to be more inclusive to traditionally marginalized groups, not to say the millennials are marginalized, but traditionally marginalized groups or at least those groups that may not have, like, traditional amounts of power. They're not, like, at the center of the design necessarily. Exactly. We know that when we design to actually be as inclusive as possible, or, sorry, to actually designed for those people that we end up with a design that's actually super inclusive and mm -hmm. works for most most everyone mm -hmm. right and I think we should think about work in that same way totally totally there's my plug neat I really really appreciate what you're saying which is that it's exciting to hear this list because it benefits everyone in the workforce yeah um and particularly keeping in mind the ways that, like, if we design in this way to better serve this generation, the likelihood is that we result, like, the result um, is positive for everybody. Okay, two two requests for you. Mm -hmm. One, I request that when I'm old, er, and starting to get a little resentful of Gen Z sure. or the Gen yes. that comes after. Remind me of this, like, amazing generosity of spirit that you just <laughs> espoused um, and endorsed and um, 
Yes, please. Don't yeah. let me turn into that same, bitter old same. lady, please. Yeah. It's so easy to get bitter. Yep. Um, I can already feel it. I feel like I already sound bitter on some of these podcasts. This <laughs> <laughs> slope is so slippery. Um, well, thank you so much for finding that article. Thank you for walking through it with me. Oh, also, there's an executive education program held at Berkeley Haas Center uh, School of Business about how to manage millennials. So yeah. You can learn more. You have to shell out, like, a couple grand, but I'm sure <laughs> it's worth it. And you know what? I think if you go to that, chances are you'll probably end up learning some great tips on how to just manage everyone in general. Finally, uh, we wanted to start a new segment or play around with a new segment called Millennials in Politics. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we've sort of alluded to the importance that politics hold in today's day, although today's day and age. (laughs) (laughs) I'm dating myself already. Although we know that politics are always important and should never be taken for granted. It's a system that will just function without our full, full participation. But... Midterms are coming up. Yep. It's finally that year. Mm-hmm. How long have you been waiting for 2018? I've been waiting since November. And yeah, for two years. <laughs> God willing, it goes well. Okay, um, but here we are. We wanted to highlight some of the work that millennials are doing in the game of politics. It yes. is not a game. It is real life. Yes. It is very serious. So we're going to play a game. <laughs> okay, so we are going to play a game. But Grace highlighted for me this awesome article about a couple millennials who are actually running for elected office. Yes. We know that millennials play a really strong role in politics in a variety of ways, but we wanted to start by highlighting three millennial women, in fact, who are running for office. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about that, or I can intro the article? No, that sounds, that sounds great. Great. There are three millennial women who are running for Democratic State House seats in the midterm elections in Pennsylvania. And they are so cool. I'm, like, in such admiration of all of them. Um, Their names are Elizabeth Fieldler, Sarah Inamorato, and Summer Lee. And Sarah Inamorato and Summer Lee are recently highlighted in um, New York Magazine, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, And Elizabeth Fieldler, I will say she's 38, so this article talks about her as a millennial, um, but we can definitely say she's cuspy, yep. but for these purposes, we'll claim her. Great. She's awesome. Awesome. Okay, and all three of them, I just want to say they actually talk about how they can elevate one another by working side by side, and so therefore they started a group chat, and I just like love all of them so much. So we're going to play a game about them. And I'm going to be the host this time. Wow. In a strange turn of events. <laughs> um, so let's play a game. Woo. Millennials and politics. Gamified. Love well, it. Yeah. The game version. Okay. Very millennial thing to do. Gamify it. Okay. Elizabeth Fieldler, age 38. Mm-hmm. What profession were her parents? Are you ready? Yeah. Were they A, a carpenter and a doctor? B, a romance novel writer and an early investor in Tom's toothpaste. C, a corporate lawyer and a software engineer. D, teachers. Ooh, um, <laughs> B. Really? 
Yes. <laughs> Are there teachers? I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to Okay. Teacher. <laughs> <laughs> of romance novel writer and an early investor in Tom's Seed That's who I wish had raised me. Uh, no, they're teachers. <laughs> oh, the romance novel writer? <laughs> Danielle Steele is her mom and Tom is her dad. <laughs> of Tom's Seed Of face. course they were teachers. Yes. Amazing. Have you ever had the Tom's fennel toothpaste? Oh, wow. Uh, like oh, fennel. We'll make that nice. <laughs> Not a huge fan of fennel. Actually, remind me, I have a bowl of fennel in the fridge. I would love to give it to you. I'll take it. Also corn. <laughs> Please take my corn. But what will I make with it? Corn. I'll make a costume and run around no! the costume party <laughs> with my corn and my fennel. You could be the band corn. Just make out with me. My mouth tastes like fennel. <laughs> and it's not because I use the toothpaste. Wouldn't it be funny if they named it, like, the anise flavor? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, there was, a re- there was a reason why anise got rebranded to fennel. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Elizabeth Fielder. What is her main inspiration for running? For election. Yep. Not just, like, jogging, but running for re-election, for election. Cool. Yeah. A, to increase regulations on dog parts and prohibit the cesspools of poop and pee that come as a result. <laughs> you are an artist. <laughs> B, to hobnob with the rich and famous. Uh-huh. C, for her kids, in order to raise them in a better world. D, more breweries in PA. That word was breweries. 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 Uh, see. Hey. Yes. I just want to say, I learned so much from my friends from Pennsylvania and started calling it PA. Oh, nice. Did yeah. you know that was a thing? No. Yeah, but... I didn't either until later in life. Um, Elizabeth Fielder says her main impetus for running for public office is her own family. She says, as a parent, I feel a lot of responsibility for bringing human beings into this world. Just looking at our trajectory and thinking about where we're headed politically and as a state and a country, it's really terrifying at moments. I feel a lot of responsibility for having these two little people. I decided I want to be directly involved in kind of sh- in shaping the kind of world that I want them to grow up in. I really felt like I couldn't rest if I didn't at least try. Oh. What a mom. Wow. What a millennial. Yes. I'm so proud. I'm so excited. Okay. Sarah Inamorato. Ready? Yep. She is wearing a pair of glasses in the picture that I found of her. Yes. Are they, A, the newest pair of Gucci glasses for $1,305 multi-frame acetate? (laughs) I didn't write that really well. Multi-frame acetate. (laughs) B, fake glasses from Party Island like the pair that I have. (laughs) C, Warby Parker. D, contacts from Hubble. <laughs> um uh gotta go with C. Yes. Are they the same ones I have? No. Oh. They're very similar though. Similar shape. So for reference, for anyone who's following who's a Warby Parker fan, Grace has the Percy in yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> she oh had God. to look. I had to look and I already knew what kind of glasses I have. I have the Percy in like some kind of light brown. It's like a tortoise shell but the light oh, version. There's, there's a tortoise shell version. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well this I don't is know. Like Brown. Stripey no, brown. They definitely don't call it stripey brown. <laughs> Percy and stripey brown. Okay. Um yeah, she's wearing the pair that I like always wanted, which are the they're kind of the shape of yours. Yeah. 
and um, they're clear, and then they have this, like, one little, like, lined border on the inside. <gasps> I love those. Yeah. Yeah. They I couldn't so pull good. them off, but I love those. They look Great so Great choice. Good. Okay, here is Sarah Inamorato. So she graduated from North Hills High School in PA, and she was able to go to University of Pittsburgh. And just as background, so her dad had an opioid addiction, which she talks about a lot, and her family really struggled to make ends meet. She says, I did everything I could to pay my ways through Pitt. I cleaned locker rooms, nannied children, and worked restaurant shifts. I also managed to squeeze in an unpaid internship, hashtag millennial life. The efforts paid off, and I graduated magna cum laude with a business degree, only to be welcomed into the worst economic recession in our economy's modern-day history. I feel like in that is just, like, such a narrative mm -hmm. of, like, so many modern-day events that really, like, define what it meant to be a millennial. Like, yeah. The opioid crisis struck home for her. She um, had to figure out how to pay her way through college mm -hmm. by doing, like, a ton of work. Um, she then graduated in the midst of the recession, and she couldn't move back home. And, like, that, was to me, is just, like, a true millennial idol. Yeah. Wow. And now she's running for office. I'm so excited. Oh, my goodness. All right. Summer Lee. Did she say the following? Oh. Sorry, can I start up again? Yes. <laughs> Which of the following did she say is a direct quote from Summer Lee. Okay. Is it A, we're not going to wait for someone to stand up for black women. We need to run. Oh, she identifies as a black woman. Okay. B, politicians put polluters in poor black neighborhoods. C, I'm a millennial's millennial. D, all of the above. D. Oh, Summer. All of the above. Yes. Including I'm a millennial's millennial. Yes. And I'm just so proud of her for holding on to that. Tell us more. She says, we need to expand our vision of what a candidate looks like. This is a majority white district. She's running in a majority white district. The election proves the progressive message, even when delivered by a young black woman in an overwhelmingly white area, can win. And she's 30 fucking years old. Summer. I'm so stoked. Anyway, if you want to read more, there's more and more coming out about these amazing women who are all millennials, all actively engaging in politics this year. Will all... you say their name one more time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we have Elizabeth Fieldler, Sarah Inamorato, and Summer Lee, all from PA. PA? <laughs> PA? Any PA listeners in the crowd? PA Shout every it day. Out. PA every day. Sweet. Thanks, team. Excited to bring back more on our new segment, Millennials in Politics. Gosh, Emma, thank you so much for teaching us some more about these incredible women. Is it time? It is time. For TBT? TBT. <laughs> Throwback Thursday. Hopefully coming out to you on a Thursday. <laughs> Emma looks at me. Oh, no, sorry. no, no. No shade. No shade. Okay. Only sun. Okay. Cool. Okay. Okay. Emma, you start. Wait. I have to get my phone for this one because this one involves a little bit of group interaction. Oh, gosh. Do you remember? <laughs> she yawns. <laughs> you petted your face like a cat. <laughs> okay. I remember what? Do you remember sweatpants, you roll the top over, like, four times? Mm -hmm. This sort of goes back to, like, the big belt fad. Yeah. Where basically, like, 
low on the hips. Right. Big bunch of fabric. Yeah. I think the idea was, like, you're supposed to kind of make yourself look skinnier by, mm-hmm. like, accentuating, accentuating, like, the roll down of the sweatpant. Right. And also it helped bring sweatpants into the low... Um, right. The low-rise jean phase, right. phenomenon phase, and, and phenomenon. I feel like the look was you have a leotard on, and then you roll the sweatpants down low enough so that you can see where the side of your leotard hits your hip. Whoa. So like you show a little skin on either side of your hip. Whoa! Because you're low. You know what? I, do you know what I'm trying to describe? I actually don't know. I that mean, I I, that. I didn't do it. Oh, you know, Corey wouldn't let me walk out of the house looking <laughs> like that. Um, Corey is Grace's mom. We mention her by first name a lot. I just want to contextualize that. C-O-R-E-Y. Yo. And my my new best friend. Okay. It's true. Instagram friends. (laughs) If you need an Instagram friend, dude, Corey is so loyal. She's the bomb. And she posts great content. She does. Okay. um, Yeah. So I posted a picture of... I couldn't really find a ton of pictures on the interwebs of this phenomenon, but Mm -hmm. I did post a picture and then asked... Um, my Instagram world, whether or not people participated, and Ellen Cushing replied, I mean, you know I did that shit. (laughs) Ellen and I went to high school together. Um, Then, oh my god, this is one of my favorites. Um, My friend Karen, who I actually know through my brother, but I also went to college with, she wrote back, I was never trendy enough myself. But I watched an episode of the original Queer Eye, and they told the guy to roll down the top of his jeans. (gasps) What? (laughs) Early 2000s, and then the shrug emoji. (laughs) That's incredible. Oh, and then from Alice, my uh, cousin through marriage, she said, always, especially if Sophie's were involved. Sophie's? What were Sophie's. they? Sophie's. Oh my god, Sophie's. Okay, Sophie's who had their tag a certain way so that when you rolled it down, yeah. so you could read Sophie's. <gasps> like, they were a sweatpant designed to be rolled down yes. the way that you're describing. Yes. Anyway, I just want to shout out all the folks who responded back to my TBT on my Instagram. My throwback this week, I'm going to keep it simple. Yeah. Throwback to the song Dilemma, the <gasps> Nelly uh, and Kelly Rowland hit in which she texts someone on an Excel spreadsheet and Nelly still had that, that tape under his eye. He, she texts someone on an Excel spreadsheet? Yeah, haven't you seen this? It's like a hilarious thing that someone noticed when going back to watch the music video. <laughs> oh, where she like has this sidekick or sort of cell phone. Yeah. And it's like, hey, where are you? But it's typed into an Excel <laughs> But yeah, that song. That's you know, amazing. Kelly got a little spotlight and launched her own independent career. And I just want to. Can you sing it? No matter what I do, oh, oh, all I think about is you. Oh, even when I'm with my boo, oh, and you know I'm crazy over you. Oh. We should do a duet karaoke style. Uh, I would love that. Great. Well, thank you so much for this week, Emma. Uh, thanks, Grace. It's been um, so nice talking to you. It's been so nice talking to you and everyone out there. 
You can email us, tbt with G-N-E, the letters G-N-E, at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, tbt with G-N-E. Thanks, everyone. Hope Thank to see you. you in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight. Thanks.